right, we've been uh, in the series here during this, these weeks leading up to Easter called Places of the Passion. And I'm looking at the different places that Jesus mentions as he's on his way to the cross. And it's been fascinating to me kind of looking at it through this lens this year. Uh, what was on Jesus' mind as the cross loomed so near to him in time? You know, we talked about Jerusalem when Jesus lamented, oh, Jerusalem, if, if only you would come to me and I will cover you and protect you and, and keep you. And then uh, last week, we talked about the tower in Siloam and this, this instinct that we all have, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but that uh, when something bad happens, it must have been because... I did something bad, or that person, you know, did something bad. And Jesus says, don't, don't worry about that. Okay, when you see a catastrophe, when you see something bad happen, that's a reminder that you too need to repent lest you too perish, perish eternally. It's something far much worse than a tower falling on you. Uh, repent, repent, repent. This is the theme of Jesus' teachings all the way up to the cross, certainly makes sense. So today, uh, he's talking about this marvelous estate where there's a father and he has two sons. Now, this is widely regarded as the greatest parable Jesus ever told. Uh, Theologians will even call it the greatest short story ever told. It is so rich and so deep, I can't possibly uh, do more than scratch the surface uh, with us today, unless you want to stay for dinner, no, we won't do that. Uh, it is so rich, it is so deep. He touches on everything. So there is a father, a, a, a prominent man, has a large estate, large farm, ranch. And his youngest son, two sons, the younger son, just comes to him one day and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my half of the inheritance now. I don't want to wait. Now, that's literally, that's what he was saying to his dad. This was just a horrible thing, a horrible thing to say in request of your father. And the, the father's reaction is also baffling. He's just kind of like, okay, I'll grant it to you. And then the son takes his half of the property and he sells it. Sells half of his father's estate while his dad's still alive. It takes him a few days to gather up all the money that came in from that. And then he takes off. I'm out of here. See ya. I'm going to go have some fun with this. And in an absolute orgy of wine, women, and song. He manages to spend every last penny of that inheritance, of what half of that estate was worth. Gone. I guess it probably took a couple of years, but still. Unbelievable, just reckless, rude, horrible decisions. So then he hits rock bottom. 
And to give you an idea how rock bottom it was, so, you know, Jews weren't allowed to eat pigs. That was kind of one of those forbidden foods. And one of the reasons is uh, because in Egypt, that's what the slaves ate. Slaves ate the pork. You didn't get, you didn't get beef. It was too expensive. And so now this guy, who again was this heir, the son of a slave, now he is so poor, he doesn't even get to eat the pigs. He's eating the pig slop, the pig food that he's feeding to the pigs. This is lower than low. So he hits rock bottom, and happens for many of us, right? Finally, we hit rock bottom, and God, all of a sudden, he has our attention now, doesn't he? And so the young boy, well, the young man now, <clears throat> He said, this is, this is a dead end. I can't, I can't exist like this. Uh, what can I do? Ah, I'll go back to my dad. I will grovel. I, I, I will just profusely apologize for these horrible decisions I've made. And I'll work out a deal right, where I can just be a servant, just be a servant. Don't want it all back, right? And so he returns with this attitude, with this plan that he's got. And instead of working out the deal he had in mind, right, the father runs to greet him. And this is another. Uh, we don't understand our culture today. But for a prominent man to hike up his robe and run was just unheard of in Jesus' day. It was almost scandalous. But his love for his son <laughs> impelled him He couldn't be stopped from chasing after his son, who he thought was dead. He was as good as dead, for sure. Hadn't heard from him. And there he is, alive again. The embrace, the hugging, the kissing. Welcome home. All the wonderful things, the celebration. And then you get the older brother, right? And I don't know if it's just me, but does anybody else feel sorry for the older brother? A little bit? I mean, doesn't he have a point, <laughs> right? He doesn't even know what's going on. He's still out in the field working when all this is happening. He's coming back from the field just another day. It's been this way for years. His brother's been gone. Another day, he's coming back, working in the fields, coming home. I hear singing. I hear dancing, merriment. What is going on? Well, the servant says, oh, your, your brother, he's, he's back. He came home. Your dad's celebrating. Well, the older brother's just indignant now. Are, are you kidding me? What Here, I've been doing what I've been supposed to do you know, all this time, and you don't even give me a goat to celebrate and make merry with my friends, and here this knucklehead comes back, and you throw a big feast. You kill the calf for him, the meat, right, the real expensive food. Unbelievable, Dad. And so what is really, again, remarkable about, again, this short, very short story is that Jesus hits the three biggest temptations that we have, right? Our three biggest sins all wrapped up in one little story. Debauchery, despair, pride. Debauchery, materialism, consumerism. Living as if this life is all there is. So we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, right? And obviously, this is a huge, huge sin in our culture, our society. Uh, But before we say, oh, yeah, 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 them, 
Let's think about our own hearts too. These, these are three big temptations that we all have to wrestle with, need to be aware of. The temptation to satisfy the flesh before we seek God's righteousness, his holiness, his plan and purpose for our life. Tempted to say, well, it's just my, it's my body, it's me, I can do what I want, I'm not hurting anybody else. Before we put other people ahead of ourselves, our family, our neighbors, our society, right? Despair, gloom. Why me, God? Big temptation. Again, we really went deep into it last week. The entire Tower of Siloam. Uh, if you want to go back and look at it. But again, it's this, this, it's this temptation. It's not fair. Something bad happens. It's just not right. It shouldn't be this way. And then uh, pride, arrogance, uh, condescending, not open-minded maybe even, but open-hearted, right, to care about people even if we disagree. Huge temptations uh, and for each of us, of course, Huge sins in our society, and we're, we're all influenced by that. So debauchery, despair, and pride all wrapped up in one really short story. And one of the things that really, I don't know, just one of the big questions that popped in my head this week, I was thinking about the story again, is how did the little brother know to come back home to dad? Like, why, why did that come to mind? Why was that so, I don't know, obvious to him? That he would just, I'm rock bottom, okay, I, I know, dad will help me, I can go to dad. And I think it's because he knew his father, right? He had observed the way his father treated other people, even the servants on his estate, his neighbors, strangers, foreigners who would pass through, his hospitality. He knew his father, and so he said, I know what I can do. Even the servants on my father's land have enough bread to eat. They're not eating the pig food, right? I'll just go back. My dad will bring me back in as a servant at least, right, hopefully. And, but here's the thing. He really didn't know his father that well, did he? You see, he, he started thinking about his relationship with his dad as transactional, as almost like a business deal. Right? He had this, this idea that he'd go back to his dad in this quid pro quo, I'll give you this if you give me that, attitude. He's like, okay, dad, I'm going to, and he's rehearsed all this, right? He's prepared this plan. And he's like, okay, dad, I will give you uh, so many years as a servant, and I will pay you back for obviously the estate that I squandered away and I'll earn my way kind of back into your good graces, back into the, the family estate. Well, first of all, it's just uh, ridiculous because it's an obscene amount of money that he owes his dad. Are you kidding me? Half of the estate and he's going to work as a, day hand, you know, a hired hand, a day laborer? It'll take him an eternity to pay his, bad, his dad back for that. That's, this is impossible. There's no way he could ever do that. But the second thing is that it shows that, again, he doesn't know the heart of his father. Because what happens when he comes home? His father sees him coming over the horizon. He's been watching and waiting for his son for years, hoping 
beyond hope. It seemed hopeless. I'm sure many people said, give it up, your son's gone. If, if he's still, uh, you know, if he's even alive somewhere, he's far away and, and lost uh, in his morals and what's valuable to him. But here he is, his son comes back and he runs to greet him. He's hugging him and kissing him, he's embracing his neck and the son still doesn't get it. The son pushes his dad away and this idiot son launches into this rehearsed speech that he's been working on. Here's the plan, dad. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Oh, is me. And I, I will no, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And here's what it will do, dad. I will work as a servant. And his father just cut him off. He didn't get to finish his little spiel. His father just cut him off and he said to the servants, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Bring the ring, that signet ring that says he's my heir, he's my son, he's, this estate is his. Put it on his hand and sandals on his feet and kill the fatted calf. Now that's the biggest feast uh, anyone could have, the fatted calf. So expensive, such an incredible party this was going to be. A reception, a homecoming for the son. Again, and his mind was dead, but here he is standing right in front of him, alive again. His own son. And that son missed that. He missed that heart of his father. To be merciful and to be gracious and to be just extravagant with his love. Of course, that's the same case for the older son. The older son did not understand the heart of his father. How in the world can you show mercy and grace to that reprobate? He has squandered everything on prostitutes and you are going to welcome him? You're gonna have a party for him? And again, it's natural, I get it. Here, I've been doing the right thing. I've been doing what you want me to do. I've been take care of things and you won't even give me a pat on the back. And the father says, you just don't understand. This is your brother. This is my son. And he was dead. He was lost. And he's back. This is like a resurrection. We can have a relationship with him again. It was completely severed. We can have a relationship with him again. You just don't, you just don't get it. And of course, the, one of the reasons that Jesus told this parable you got to understand the context, right? So the first couple of verses in the whole chapter, Jesus is uh, sharing his love, speaking God's word to everybody. And the tax collectors and the sinners, the prostitutes, the reprobates of society, they were all drawing near to hear him. And then the Pharisees and the scribes, the older brothers, right? They what? They grumbled. They grumbled saying, this man receives sinners. And, this is even worse, he eats with them. He has fellowship with them. It's like we have meals, we, we fellowship with people. That's horrible. Pharisees and scribes are thinking, God would never, never show mercy and grace to just horrible people like that who destroy his kingdom, destroy, hurt people, who hurt God's creation, and God would certainly never ask me. 
to fellowship with such horrible people. They don't know the heart of their father. So what about me and you? How well do you know the heart of God? How well do you know the heart of your father who shows mercy to us, sparing us from the punishment we deserve, who lavishes grace upon us, giving us such good things that we never earned, we couldn't earn, we don't deserve. He showers us with these wonderful gifts of peace in the whole world. All the kids are at kids' time, right? When the whole world goes to hell in a handbasket. Anybody feel like that's happening? God gives us a sure confidence and a foundation, a, a peace, knowing that we are his children. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less. He's always going to welcome us home. And one of the big things I'm going to help you with today uh, is a big obstacle for us for, for knowing the heart of God, for seeing God's open and gracious heart. And this is just so ingrained in us. And we got this, this kind of twarped understanding of karma, right? You see the little picture there? What goes around comes around, right? If somebody does something bad, eventually, you know, they're going to get some kind of punishment for that, payback. Somebody does some good, uh, you know, something finally good is going to happen to them. Okay, the first mistake we make is that that's not even the definition of karma in Hinduism. Okay, it's a Hindu, it's a Hindu term. Uh, but whatever, this is an Americanized uh, fabric, well, fabricated, a translation, we'll say, uh, a shift uh, of karma, but so be it. That, but this is kind of the prominent worldview. And you see it in New Age kind of religious stuff out there, things like uh, power positive thinking, you see it everywhere. You know, you just put good energy out there in the universe and then, you know, it'll come back to you. I don't even know what that means. What is, inter- anyway, don't get it. But bad, you know, you get bad. No, right? No. <clears throat> and what this leads us to, though, is, is with our relationship with God. We start seeing our relationship with God as transactional. As if we can make some kind of bargain with God. And this happens, you know, uh, sadly, but we don't even try to make these bargains with God in order to regain God's righteousness, which really should be our goal, right? Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No, we try to make transactions with God usually when it's trying to regain lost prosperity. Whatever it is, relationship, money, whatever. Right, life hits the skids, we say, okay, God, I'll make a deal. I'll do this if you'll take care of that. No, it's, that doesn't work that way. That's not even the heart of God. His heart is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, everything else will be added unto you. You seek me, you seek my heart, God says, and I'll take care of everything else. You don't have to worry about it. There's no karma going around, okay? There's no individual punishment for a certain sin or anything like that. Yes, generally speaking, in the big picture, 
bad things happen because of sin. There's a sin in the world. We all contribute to that, and it's just all affected. We're all affected by it. We've poisoned our environment, and we have cancer, right? I mean, it, it affects everybody. We all contribute. There's not one particular punishment for sin, not on earth. It's not the heart of God. Okay, how do we know the gospel? How do we know the heart of God? Well, when we look around our world, we look at circumstances, it's hard to see. That's why God said, don't look around the world. Don't look at your own circumstances. If you want to know how much I love you, just look one place. Look back to the cross. That's where I gave extravagantly for you. That's where I gave up my one and only son for you in your place. So you'll be forgiven, have eternal life, welcome back into my heavenly estate. Now the word prodigal actually does not have a negative connotation to it. The word just means lavish. It means recklessly extravagant. The prodigal means to spare no cost. It means to withhold nothing. So God's love for us is prodigal. He lavishes his love on us. He spares no cost. He gave his one and only son to die for me and you, to be separated, to be kicked out of the estate for the sins of the world so that we will be welcomed home. God showers us with mercy and grace. Remember, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy. So not getting zapped by a thunderbolt because of our sinfulness. That's mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Like eternal life. Like peace. Like being reconciled to our creator and reconciled to one another again. Have good relationships uh, the way God's designed us. So he, he lavishes, he's, his prodigal love lavishes this mercy and grace upon us. And we see that Again, not only did God come to us in the flesh in Jesus Christ, but each and every day, each and every Sunday, God comes down to be with us, to be near us, to encourage us, yes, to forgive us, to strengthen us. In our baptisms, you can look at the baptism font You can remember that right there, God lavished his grace upon us. And right there, he clothed you with the royal robe of Christ's righteousness. Put that ring on your finger as a child of God, an heir of this heavenly estate. Here in the table, he comes to us again in body and blood, the feast of victory for our God that is set before us again and again and again to be with us in an intimate, a very special way to strengthen us and encourage us and to remind us that his heart is to always welcome us home, to always welcome us home. Amen. Let's pray and we'll have communion. Almighty God, you 
you astound us with the love that you shower down upon us. And we pray that we never take any of your blessings for granted. Help us to rejoice always in all circumstances uh, because we always have uh, you as our Heavenly Father. We always have a wonderful home waiting for us in uh, the mansions of your heavenly estate, uh, a, a life that will never end with, without any more harm or sickness, tears, or even death. Uh, we look forward to that glorious day. In Jesus' name, amen.